0: Wow, that was amazing. I hope that you were dancing in your living rooms. In fact, uh, we want to hear from you. Go ahead and fess up in the chat room. If you were dancing or your kids were dancing, just go ahead and... and, uh put that in the chat room there. We just want to celebrate together. Man, what an amazing weekend to, uh, to do that. Even though there's a lot of snow, that's okay because we are still connected. And I just want to welcome you today. I'm Pastor Chris, one of the pastors here. And we are in the third week of our series that we are calling No Silver Bullets. Now, silver bullets are all around us. We love silver bullets. Silver bullets are just the magical sort of solution to our problems. And as I started thinking about silver bullets in our world, I got a little nostalgic, and I started thinking about infomercials. Now, I don't know if infomercials are still a thing. I'm sure they are. I don't watch much television. But uh, when I started thinking about infomercials, I, I started thinking about the old ones. For instance, what do you do when you spill red wine on your white carpet? There is a silver bullet for that. What do you do when you are trying to tone those pesky parts of your legs? Yep. What do you do when your blanket doesn't quite cover your shoulders? This is a good one. I have one of these, and they are amazing. And then what do you do if you are just too lazy to get up and turn off the lights? Yeah, everybody claps. That's good. Well, here's the thing, is that we love silver bullets. Our phones are full of silver bullets. There's an app for everything. But what we know to be true is that there are no silver bullets when it comes to our spiritual growth. That for those of you who are following Jesus, for those of you who are, who are on the journey or, or thinking about the journey, we know that, that there are just no easy shortcuts. There's no magical solutions to spiritual growth. That we, what we've been saying throughout this whole series is that there are no silver bullets when it comes to spiritual growth, but that it happens in holistic community. And so over the course of these five weeks, we are looking at Bible application, we are looking at prayer, vulnerability, spiritual friendships, and missional living. And on week one, we talked about Bible application, that it's not enough just to read the Bible. It's also not enough to even memorize the Bible, but there's this, there's this jump that we have to make from, from reading it and understanding it to applying it to our lives, to allowing the Word of God to, to change who we are. And then last week we talked about prayer and how powerful prayer is. Not only just the, 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 the fact that we get to pray to the king of kings and that he hears us, but when we get to gather together in community and pray, that's a powerful, powerful thing. And today we are looking at vulnerability and what vulnerability has to do with our spiritual growth. Now, Once I say that word, for many of us, you start having that inner voice like screaming, right? Like, oh man, things are going to get uncomfortable. Start like shutting things down, right? Close it off, batten down the hatches because things are going to get uncomfortable. Because we know that in our culture, vulnerability is is avoided, right? It's problematic, I mean, you never show up for a job interview and uh, right away start listing off all of your vulnerabilities, the things that maybe you're not great at, your weaknesses. You never show up, uh, for those of you who are dating, you never ever show up on your first date with just your laundry list of things, which is a good thing, right? Don't do that if you're thinking about doing that. But in our culture, we have examples like Clint Eastwood, and Chuck Norris, right? Like, just be tough as nails and, and never let them see you sweat. And so what do we do? We, we, we sort of, we're well aware of our weaknesses, aren't we? And at the same time, this pressure of never let them see you sweat. So for many of us, what we do is we, we work really, really hard at trying to mitigate our weaknesses mitigate those wounds, those areas of life that we, that we just don't want other people to see. And when we can't do that, we hide, don't we? We put up walls, we put up masks, we put up facades, and we hide. So to start off today, you can't really talk about vulnerability without also talking about Brene Brown. She's a researcher, a speaker, an author, uh, has done a ton of work on vulnerability. She wrote a book called Daring Greatly, and how she defines vulnerability is this. Vulnerability is about uncertainty, risk, and emotional exposure. It's that unstable feeling that we get when we step out of our comfort zone and let let go of control. She also confronts this idea that to be vulnerable is to be weak. In fact, she says it this way, the only on-ramp to vulnerability is the courage to show up looking imperfect. Did you realize that to be vulnerable takes a lot of courage? In fact, if you think about those times in your life where you stepped out in vulnerability, it took a lot of courage, didn't it? And then she goes on and she says, the only on-ramp to intimacy and relationship is vulnerability. So here's the thing, is if we want to grow deeper in our relationships with others and with God, vulnerability is the on-ramp. We have to be willing to be vulnerable, which means we have to, we have to muster up the courage to do that. In other words, she's saying this, the more vulnerable you are, the more courage it takes... And the more vulnerable you are, the deeper your relationships can go with God and with others, which sounds great, right? I mean, we all want deep relationships. We all want to be courageous. We all want to go forward. And, 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 but here's the thing. The biggest enemy to vulnerability is shame. It's shame. right? The, the fear of disconnection. We, we ask ourselves this question, is there something inside of me that if people know what's there or see it, that it would make me unworthy of connection? That's really what the, the biggest enemy to vulnerability is, is fear of, of disconnection. In fact, if you look at Maslow's hierarchy of needs, the very basic need that everybody has is, is the physiological needs that air, water, food... The next level of need are safety needs, like that you can have security, health, employment. And then the very next level above that is the need to be loved and for belonging, friendship, connection, intimacy. And this comes before self-esteem, before respect, before status, before reaching your goals, any of that, the need for connection. Renee and I, we have a... a big dog. His name is Captain. Captain is about 110 pounds or so, depending on how much he's eating. He's a a mix between a Swiss mountain dog and a Bernese mountain dog. And, And for the most part, he's a good dog. However, like most dogs, they have very little willpower when it comes to temptation. And Captain's biggest fatal flaw and his biggest temptation is the garbage, the trash can. And so we've tried dozens of things. We had the lids on the trash cans that like closed, but he didn't care. He would just tip them over or push them open. So then we would go, and we would take the trash every night and put it into the laundry room. However, if the door didn't shut all the way, he would just go and knock his big meathead against the door and go in there and get all the trash out. We tried child locks on the cupboard doors. Again, didn't faze him. He's like, what are these things? I'm not a child, I'm a dog. And sure enough, that meathead just kind of came in, and he just busted the, the cabinet open. So we kind of running out of options, we got desperate, and this is what we did. So every night, we had to religiously take two of our stools and a chair and barricade this cupboard so that our dang dog wouldn't get in the trash, and put coffee grinds and eggshells and all the other nonsense all over the kitchen floor. But this became problematic because every morning you would come down and you would have to like deconstruct our, our little tower here. And you always had to play the game, like is it worth moving all this because I gotta leave in a few minutes so I'm just gonna like, reach over and do what I need in the sink and, and then just leave it. Or if I need to get in the trash can, I'm just gonna kind of nudge it out of the way. And it was just this big problem. But here's why I share this is because this picture is what a lot of our lives look like when it comes to vulnerability. This is what we do. Because of our fear of disconnection, because of our fear of being seen as imperfect, we, we barricade. And, and here's the tension that we face, is do we take down those barricades and risk getting rejected, or do we keep the barricades up and potentially miss out on deep connections with others and with God. So my goal today is simple. My goal is to convince you that the risks of vulnerability are worth it. Why? I'll tell you the answer. Because that's where transformation happens. It's when we are vulnerable, when we are willing to step into those vulnerable spaces that transformation happens. Those times of courageous Vulnerability is when we're transformed into something beautiful. And so we're going to be looking at a scripture in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. If you want to open up your Bibles to that or turn there, we're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Now, a, a little bit of background on this book Paul is the one who wrote this letter to the church. In Corinth, now the church in Corinth—they've been following Christ, and and Paul had already written a letter to them, and, and they had several believers who were following Jesus, uh, several people in the city. However, one thing that started happening in the Corinthian church is that these super Christians started infiltrating the church. You know what I mean by super Christians—the ones who like look perfect. The, the ones who don't have any problems, the ones who are beautiful, and, and they make lots of money, and their marriage is like a 10, and their kids are, are never have any problems, and, and, and these super-Christians are perfect. And, and what happened in the Corinthian church is that the, the other believers started valuing these super-Christians more than others. In fact, since Paul... Wasn't considered a super Christian. He wasn't as good looking. He, he, he wasn't as wealthy. He, Paul got beat up a lot and, and thrown in jail a lot. He was, and they kind of viewed that as like, man, maybe Paul, maybe Paul's not worth listening to. So what they started doing is they started valuing these super Christians a little bit more. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul talks about this thorn in his flesh. He talks about how this messenger of Satan has been sent to harass him, that there's this thorn in his flesh. We don't know exactly what it is. It could have been physical. It could have been emotional. It could have been spiritual, mental. We don't exactly know what it is, but we know that it troubled him greatly. In fact, he asked God three times. He pleaded with God, please take this thorn away. And he got the answer that none of us ever want to get, which is no. No. But Jesus didn't just tell him no. He, can, he says this in verse nine. Jesus said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Now there's two key words in this part, sufficient and power. Let's look at the word Sufficient. When he talks about sufficient grace, he's talking about grace that never runs out. He's talking about grace that, that, that is never lacking. I mean, think about your, your biggest issues in life and think about the kind of grace, the amount of grace that is needed to cover those issues, those wounds, those weaknesses, those addictions, whatever that is. Here, Jesus says, My grace is sufficient for that, it's enough. When I think of the word sufficient, for some reason, my mind automatically goes to food. I don't know why, I don't know why. But here's what I mean: is you know those times when you are like starving, or your your stomach is like starting to digest itself, and you're just not sure if you're going to make it. You're going to faint, and you don't have anything. But you're like digging around in the back seat or whatever. You're like, kids, what do you have in your backpack? And they're like, they pull out this little like piece of fruit snack or whatever. And you're like, okay, and you eat it. It doesn't do anything. It doesn't help. It's not enough, it's not sufficient. However, on the flip side is when you're starving and you're hungry and you go and you sit down with friends and family at a table that is just full of food. And you just start passing the plates and you start filling up your plate and and you're eating with your eyes before and your nose before you even start eating with your mouth. And and it's just this amazing experience. And here's the idea of of the sufficiency of Jesus' grace: is that no matter how hungry you are, and no matter how many times you come to the table, it is always full. It's always full. It's never lacking. You see, his grace is sufficient for you. So when we have our wounds like Paul had, when we have those thorns in the flesh and we come to God and we say, God, take this away, and he says, No, he doesn't just say no. He also says, There's enough at the table. My grace is sufficient for you. He goes on and he says, My power is made perfect in weakness. My power is made perfect in weakness. You see, it just keeps getting better. Not only is his grace enough, but his power, the same power that created the universe out of nothing, the same power that that rose Jesus from the grave, the same power that is the power of God for the salvation for all who believe. That sort of power is, he says, made perfect or completed in you. Now, let me ask you this. When it comes to sufficient grace, and completed power in your life? What if we believed that? I mean, just imagine for a moment, what if if we believed that? Again, back to biblical application, what if we applied that to our lives? What if we believed that? What if we walked in that truth? I mean, think about all the people pleasing that we try to do. I mean, that's, that's what we're doing when we're hiding is, is I want to please this person by hiding this part of my life. I want to, to, to avoid this, this criticism or this rejection, and so I'm going to, to try to please them. And, and man, so much of our energy can be spent on people pleasing, can't it? We're worried about what other people think. We're worried about what other people are going to say. But when we live in the sufficiency of his grace and his completed power in our weaknesses... I mean, people-pleasing just sort of falls to the side, doesn't it? It just sort of goes away. It's not as important. We don't care anymore. He continues on in the second half of verse 9. He says, therefore, what does he mean, therefore? Because of the sufficiency of his grace and his completed power in my life, he says, therefore, I will boast. I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest on me. For the sake of Christ, I am content with weaknesses, with insults, hardships, persecutions, calamities, for, and here it is, when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul uses the strange word, he says, boast, when I think of boasting, I think of like being in middle school or elementary school and kids would, you know, boast about their awesome football skills, right? While I'm over there fumbling the ball. They always called me Butterfingers. But, but like the boasting, you know, like that kind of leaves a, a bad taste in our mouths. Right? And it's not like Paul was walking around going like, hey, look at how wounded and weak I am. But, but here's what Paul meant by that is this was his way of talking about, I'm going to be vulnerable about these things. I'm going to be vulnerable. I'm going to, I'm going to boast about them. I'm not going to hide them anymore. I'm going to actually display them. Why? Just because I just want to be real. I just want to be human. I just want to have the permission to, to just not be perfect. Do you need that permission today? Do you need permission to just not be perfect, to just be real, to maybe boast in your weaknesses? You know, some of the most meaningful friendships that I have are those friendships that I can be 100% honest without fear of rejection, without fear of judgment, without fear of, of being thought about differently or without fear of gossip or whatever that is. But I can just go to them and, and, I, can, and I can reveal wounds and I can talk about struggles and I can confess sin and that is where it's at. That is, that is the picture of vulnerability leading to transformation. That is the beautiful picture of what it means to boast in our weaknesses. You know, here's, here's the other thing is that when he says he's boasting in his weaknesses, he's, it's assumed that there's community like nobody ever goes and just boasts to themselves. I mean, maybe some of you do. Maybe you walk around talking about how awesome you are just to yourself. I don't know. But but, but he's saying I'm going to boast about my weaknesses, meaning there's a community around me. There's someone that's going to hear this. There's somebody who's going to see the imperfections of my life. I'm going to do this in community. And that's, again, what this whole series about, is that these spiritual disciplines have to happen in community. And, and when the body of Christ does that, it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. So how do we do this? What is an, a step, what is an easy step for us to, to take toward vulnerability? Well, let me first tell you what it's not. What it's not is going onto your social media account or in the chat room online or whatever and just listing out your laundry list. That is not what it is. Don't do that. It is unwise. Also, don't go to somebody who talks a lot. That is unwise, right? Because here's the thing. If you, if you do it wrong, if you are vulnerable with the right heart but in the wrong way, guess what? The next time you are wanting to be vulnerable, you're gonna, after you get burned, it's going to be that much harder, so, don't, so so use wisdom when it comes to vulnerability. Here's what that looks like, is maybe have that conversation with a trusted friend. Maybe it's even having that conversation where you can ask permission to go there with a trusted friend. It's something like, hey, sitting down over coffee and just saying, hey, man, I, I really need someone that I can just be real with about my marriage, about my parenting, about my, my life, whatever that is. Can, can you be that for me? Could we be that for each other? Just having that, that conversation with a friend. Maybe for some of us, it means actually connecting into a community group. Vulnerability is such a high value of our community groups here at Crossroads Church. We talk with our leaders about it all the time. We are encouraging vulnerability within our community groups. Maybe for some of you, you that's a next step, is to actually plug in, to take that courageous step of plugging into a, a, a small community where you can just be real with people. And we've made that super easy. You can just text the word next to the number on your screen, and we will get in touch with you and help you get connected. For some of you, maybe you're in groups, but, but you feel like your group isn't quite uh, deep enough yet. Well, maybe maybe a step for you in that group is to just be the courageous one to take that first step in vulnerability. Because here's the thing is that uh, tough facades breed tough facades. You know what I'm saying? When you walk into church on the weekends and everybody else looks perfect, but inside you're dying, what do you do? You put up the perfect face, don't you? Because tough facades breed tough facades. The opposite is true too, that vulnerability breeds vulnerability. And I've seen it happen over and over and over again that that the moment one person decides to take a courageous step in a trusted group, a trusted community, and they are vulnerable with other people, others in the group are like inspired. Man, I want to do that. I want to be able to share what's going on in me. I want to be able to share those imperfections that I have. And and all of a sudden, vulnerability is growing within the group. And here's the other thing I want to encourage you is that if someone comes to you or if someone in your group takes a courageous step of vulnerability, let's make sure, make sure that we meet them as Jesus does. And what I mean by that is let's make sure that we meet them there with grace. The last thing anybody wants is to be be courageous and step out in vulnerability and then get hit with a list of things I should have done versus I should have memorized. Judgments that are coming my way, things that I should have done differently. Oftentimes what what people need when they're being vulnerable is just a listening ear who's empathetic, someone who's willing to just meet them there in that space, not fix them, not give them answers, not give them other verses, not give them five to-dos, not any of that stuff, but just meeting them there with grace and acceptance. Do that. And then finally, for some of us, maybe a step toward vulnerability is just simply being vulnerable with God. Now you might be thinking, what does that mean? Doesn't he already know everything? Doesn't he already know what, what's going on in me, those tender areas of life? And I would say, yeah, he does. So be vulnerable. Sometimes we think we gotta put on a perfect face for God. We have to say the right prayers with fancy words and we can't really talk about what's really thinking, what, what we're really dealing with inside. Why? Because God might be offended or something like that, but he already knows. So, be vulnerable with him. Open up your soul to him. And when you do that, man, experience his goodness and his grace. Now, there might be still some of us who are just not convinced that the risk of vulnerability is worth it. And here's what I would say to you You know, when Paul says that in his vulnerability, in his boasting of his weaknesses, that that's where he experiences the sufficiency of his grace and the completeness of his power the opposite of that is also true you see when we barricade when we spend all of our time and energy hiding those imperfections when we work really hard at trying to look really good on the outside guess what we are missing out on the sufficiency of his grace and his perfect power in our lives. You see, Jesus, Jesus doesn't ask us to do anything that he didn't do. Did you know that God is vulnerable? Have you ever thought about that? God is, is vulnerable. In Romans 5, it says this, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In other parts of scripture, we're called enemies of God. Let me ask you this. How vulnerable do you have to be to love your enemies? How vulnerable do you have to be to, to love your enemies? And since God is all-knowing, he also knows that, that many of those people that he deeply Loves are going to spit in his face and reject him. How vulnerable do you have to be to do that? You see, our God is a vulnerable God. Not only that, but when Jesus came to earth, he was born in a vulnerable situation as a helpless baby. He died a vulnerable, shameful death. Naked, nailed to a cross. Why? Because he loves you. He doesn't just tolerate you. He doesn't just put up with you. He's not just waiting for a better version of your future self. He loves you with an infinitely deep and affectionate love that we will never fully grasp in this life. He loves you. He put himself in vulnerable situations so that you can connect with him. And that's what we remember today when we take communion Together, we, we don't just take it as a, as a routine. We, we take it and we remember, we, we celebrate and, and we me- remember the vulnerability of God on display, the ultimate picture of love and vulnerability, Jesus on the cross. So I'm gonna pray and then we're gonna celebrate communion together and then we're going to respond to his goodness, his love for us by singing together. So let's pray. God, we thank you so much for your goodness to us. God, thank you that that you made yourself vulnerable to come to the earth that you created to put on human flesh, to limit yourself, to die for your enemies, God, it blows my mind. Father, thank you that we don't have to pretend like we're perfect in front of you. Thank you that because of your grace that we don't have to pretend like we're perfect in front of everybody else. But God, that it's in those vulnerable moments that you meet us with your transforming power, that completed power. So, God, we thank you for that. And I pray for those who are maybe far from you this morning. Thank you, God, that all we need to do is take one step toward you and that you sprint to be with us. That no matter where we're at, even for those who are considering following you today, God, that you are there with open arms. Jesus, we thank you and we love you. And it was on the night that he was betrayed that he took the cup and the bread and he broke it and he passed it around and he said, whenever you eat of this bread, remember my body that's been broken for you. Let's remember together. And then taking the cup This is my blood poured out for you. Whenever you drink of it, remember my love for you. Remember my vulnerability for you. Remember the power of God for the salvation for all who believe. Let's remember together. If you would like prayer today, We have people online in the chat room ready to pray with you. All you got to do is click the prayer button and someone will, will pray with you today. Let's respond to God's goodness with singing.